everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 407, Food Fights. Eddie, Eddie, I guess there's only one place to start, and that's with me asking if you're a fan of Pokemon. No. <laughs> Is that a surprising sure? answer? Yeah, positive. Actually, legitimately, even though it falls, I mean, for both of us, the original Pokemon craze, certainly the Western Hemisphere original Pokemon craze, falls right into the perfect timing, I guess, for our childhoods, but I yep. never collected Pokemon cards never watched the cartoon the game boy game no never one of those things pokemon and harry potter probably two of the like biggest cultural sort of influencers of my of our childhood period and yet never had an interest in either one man that is a shame because this joke i think is a great joke and it's gonna go right over you then eddie because this weekend in Kansas City, we saw a rare Pokemon feat. We saw a first half of the Kansas City Chiefs sending out Machamp as their quarterback, who then de-evolved in the second half to Machoke, because that was one of the upside-down performances I've ever seen on the weekend, where Mahomes' first half QBR rating was a 98 out of a possible 99.9, and his second half Machoke was a 1.4, with the lowest being a 0.1. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we're jumping right into that, his first half and the Chiefs' first half in general was pretty perfect aside from, I mean, they did allow the Bengals to get a fairly soft touchdown towards the end of the first half, but also then the failure to get any points when they had the first and goal at the end, and there's the complete clock mismanagement there, the decision to throw a screen pass when the one thing you couldn't do in that situation was get tackled short of the end zone. That was kind of crazy. And then seemingly Mahomes being unaware of the fact, I mean, he tried to call a timeout. I don't know if that was more in hope than expectation. I don't know if he didn't know that they had no remaining timeouts. I'm not sure what the situation exactly was there. But Again, though, quickly the- on that, we've covered this multiple weeks now. Andy Reid wasted a timeout by calling a timeout instead of challenging the play. He called the timeout and then challenged the play instead of just challenging it and where he wouldn't have wasted his timeout. So again, another instance of coaches just basic, basic football rules cannot grasp. I mean, I think it was a bad weekend of coaching in general. I don't actually think any of the head coaches kind of came out looking great from this. Uh, I guess the Bengals... From a coaching standpoint, the least scathed uh, from any of any of the, rel- the the respective coaching units, but it was actually a pretty poorly coached weekend. So, which had some great plays and some great football played at times, but some pretty poor coaching decisions by certainly three of the head coaches. Now, is this the least exciting Super Bowl? of your lifetime. And I mean that with the utmost respect to both the Bengals and the Rams, who've both at different times this season played extremely good football. And 
you have, you know, potentially the next dominant quarterback uh, of his generation in Burrow. You have some standout, maybe the, you know, probably arguably the greatest defensive player in the NFL at the moment playing for the Rams. You have some star offensive players, but still there's very little about this Super Bowl when I look at it, keep looking back at it and seeing Rams Bengals that can get me just excited to see this game. Yeah, so I definitely want to touch on the games a little more, but I agree this is this was the worst case scenario, um, I think, for the NFL. If you saw, it's also technically the worst Super Bowl ever with the lowest seeds ever advancing to a Super Bowl with both of these teams being four seeds. That's the first time that there hasn't been at least a three seed in the Super Bowl. So, uh, which I guess kind of shows the the parody in the NFL a little bit, but um, yeah, I I am a little disappointed in this, and I think what makes it difficult now is I don't know who to root for, and I think I'm going to root for the Bengals just because there's enough people on the Rams that I just genuinely don't like. I don't like their attitude, and at this point, I'd rather see them lose, <laughs> which is a really mean not fun way to watch a Super Bowl, but yeah. Now I kind of agree with you. I'm really torn as to who I want to win. I, in the end, I think I won't have strong opinions on as to who I want to win, even during the game. I'm not a big fan of the Rams and there are plenty of players on that team who I'm definitely not a fan of, including McVay, who looked just so happy at the end of that game, even though it was just an awful coaching performance on his part, but he looked as if, you know, Wonder Boy McVay had made a reappearance and taken his team to a Super Bowl for the second time early in his career. It was, <laughs> yeah, but he, I have to admit, I'm finding Joe Burrow a little bit harder to swallow by the week. I, I now, are you saying that because of the off field things? Yes. Yeah, yeah, nothing to do with on, I think on, on field, field he's fun to watch. He's great to yeah. watch on field. This is a guy who gets his ass beat in week in and week out, gets up, doesn't care, you know, is like ready to go. He's a gamer. He comes in, he doesn't never looks really nervous. On the field, he is f- fun to watch and he's great to root for. But then you get off the field with the chains and his comment about how he makes too much money for the diamonds to be fake. Like, come on. That was, that was, yeah. It's also one of those, he's definitely going to look back 10 years from now, right? And regret those outfits. Like, I know people are giving him credit now for it being quirky and unique and kind of amusing, but he's definitely going to look back. Whatever stupid outfit he is about to wear to the Super Bowl, he is going to look back 10, 15 years from now and think, why on earth did I get to my first Super Bowl and try and dress like Russell Westbrook? You know, like there's, I just, and there's just, he's, uh, we, we have the term fork, right? For when someone's got into the annoying dork level, which we kind of threw on the Golden State Warriors a few years ago. And particularly on Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, when they, they, they were the fun splash brothers for a while. And then it got a little too much and then they became forks. I think Joe Burrow is is breaking records not only for the speed at which he's making Super Bowls and the possibility that he might be the first quarterback ever to win a national title in college, a Heisman Trophy, and a Super Bowl, 
which surprises me that he would be the first one ever, but we can touch on that later. But also breaking records for how quickly he is entering the record books is just a massive fork. Yeah, he's definitely entering fork territory for sure. Um, and it's it's a shame because I really do like watching him play. And if I just never looked on Instagram and saw him in his pink shades that he wears, those hexagonal pink shades that he thinks are cool, then I would have a great opinion of him and I wouldn't consider him a fork. But unfortunately, I do go on social media and I see these dumb posts. I mean, even I'll tell you another one that even bother starting to bother me already. The cigar smoking thing. It was it was fine the first time it happened at at, um, at LSU. That's fine. That's like his iconic thing at LSU. He did it, but didn't just let it go. I don't need to see you now smoking a cigar every time you win a big game and then see your dad and Jamar Chase's dad smoking cigars outside the stadium because you won a big game. Like, move on. Let's Let's find a new joke. Yeah, I think that's the issue. And part of me, what really bothers me, and it's something that bothers me about people in general, is he is straddling the line of, is he doing something ironically because he thinks it's amusing? Like with how he dresses, it's unclear. Like clearly he's doing it kind of like wearing the the chain and the turtleneck and kind of dressing like the rock and the weird shades and everything. He's kind of doing that all ironically and to be amusing. But then deep down, he must think that it looks kind of good. So I always hate this is athletes, celebrities, people I know in real life. Once they are combining, they're kind of trying to come off as, hey, look, I'm, I'm being funny and ironic here. But I don't look bad, though, do I? I'm kind of pulling it off. You know, I, you, we can all agree. Are you, you talking guys... about me with, when I, with my mustache? Is that what you're referencing, Eddie? <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, I think almost any time anyone has a mustache, they're probably falling into that category. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, because that was a real commitment. And I think everyone knew you kind of didn't look good. <laughs> yeah. How does it work, Eddie? If I think it's ironic and I don't think I look good, then what That's category fine. do I fall into? <laughs> That's fine. I'm actually okay with that. But this is, and again, actually, do you know what? If he was wearing a fake chain, I would have found that more amusing. If he'd, if he'd said, if they're like, are, are, is that real? And instead of him saying, I earned too much money for this not to be real, if he'd turned around and said, this is too stupid for it to be real. Yeah, I would, would actually, I waste money on this? <laughs> yeah, I would have been back on board. I would have been like, okay. But the fact that he's actually buying that crap, because obviously he thinks it's cool, I... He's he's starting to compete with the biggest, the quirkiest quarterback in the NFL. He he who shall not be named on this podcast. But... <laughs> it's not Voldemort. <laughs> it's only Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's get into the games a little then. So getting back to the Chiefs game, you know, obviously it was a game of two halves for sure. And Mahomes was atrocious in that second half and there's no, you know, I am the number one Mahomes supporter and I'm the, I will come out and say that was the worst half of football. I've almost seen any quarterback play, not just like Mahomes worst half or two quarters in an overtime, whatever you want to call it. But what was really crazy was when I went back and kind of did some deep dives into the play, the bigger plays and kind of watched them. And you can do the advanced analytics and kind of see the different views on all of the plays. He has 
open targets that are his normal reads. It's as almost as if that play at the end of the first half where he makes the wrong read. If you watch that play again, it's a RPO option and both players bite on the running back and he actually has just green grass to the right. He pulls that and runs to the right. There is no one there. That's an easy touchdown. But he makes the wrong read, throws it to Tyreek Hill, doesn't make a particularly great throw, and that ends their half, and they don't score it at the end of the half. It's as almost if that made him second-guess everything after that mistake. And there's like that third and three that he ends up getting sacked for 15 yards. He's got Kelsey, which is his main read, wide open off the bat, and he just doesn't throw it. That touchdown where he gets sacked and almost non-touchdown at the end where he gets sacked and almost fumbles it away before they kick the field goal, that last play on Wait, third and goal. Yeah, what, what touchdown? What, the third and the, goal yeah. when they kick the game. Nothing to do with a touchdown, though. No, I, I meant to say not touchdown. He has his, his first read is Kelsey. He has him for the touchdown, but just doesn't throw it. And then his... He has Hardman across just as wide open and decides again not to throw. It's, it's almost as if he was second guessing himself so much yeah. that he just couldn't do anything. It was, well, he it had was a, strange. He had a serious case of happy feet in that second half. And yeah. a little bit, we kind of went into that game talking about how Joe Burrow has that ability to turn, you know, a, a little bit of pressure or a three yard sack into a 13 yard sack. And he was doing that. But definitely, I mean, he had particularly to identify that play right at the end of the game where he turned what should have been a chip shot field goal all of a sudden into actually like a somewhat challenging field goal. I mean, they have a very good field goal kicker, so it ended up being 45 yards. You expect him to make it, but he definitely made it significantly harder over the course yeah. of those final few plays. He he had all day, and even before the pressure started getting to him, he started doing that thing where he's turning around and kind of running from, he's turning his back on the play and 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 sort of, not really going anywhere, but looking as if he might take off to go somewhere. And then eventually, after having just all day to throw, allowing the, you know, taking too long and suddenly the pressure was on him. It was a bizarre second half performance and definitely not a good look for him. But the Chiefs were clearly the best team or the better team in that game. I can't walk away from that feeling as if the Bengals, I'm not going to say the, the wrong team won because the Bengals deserve a lot of credit for their comeback. But definitely the Chiefs were clearly better and should have put that game away. And that's part of the issue I have in a way with then supporting the Bengals in the Super Bowl is I think they've been the second best team in pretty much every round they've played. Maybe not in the wildcard weekend against the Raiders. Even that was probably a coin toss. But certainly Titans, Chiefs, they've been second best in both of those. And I just have a hard time then feeling as if we'll get to the end of the season. And if the chiefs have won the super bowl feeling that in any way that is reflective of the kind of best team of the season having won. And that's not what the super bowl winning. It's not what winning a title is supposed to mean, but when you're a neutral, I just sometimes find it tough to want a complete outsider to win. Then I think 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we'll just look back and be like, that was a weird one. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I mean, the Bengals won, but that first half, the Chiefs were just dominant. And I get it. It's a game of two halves, but it was a weird circumstance. It wasn't even as if the Bengals came out and did things crazy different. 
I mean, their offense was still very similar to what it was, and they just happened to pick up some points this time because they were getting more chances. But then the defense, they kind of dropped into like a three-man, four-man rush. So they did a little bit different. But for the most part, again, like we discussed, it was Mahomes not hitting the reads, not hitting the passes, and them just stalling out with these really terrible drives. And it's it, it was kind of frustrating to watch because obviously I'm rooting for the Chiefs and I'm rooting for Mahomes. And I feel as if they should have won that game had they even just figured out one drive and scored one touchdown, maybe late in the third, early fourth, I think that ends it. You know, they didn't have to score 21 more, just one more touchdown, I think would have ended. And, and uh, I, genuinely, I think if they kick a field goal at the end of the first half, it's game over. Yeah. I mean, definitely yeah. touchdown, it's game over. But I think if they just kick that field goal, it's game over because it would have just always felt that little bit more out of reach for the Bengals every time they got the ball. And, I think that would have just completely changed it. But I think in both games, both losing teams will feel will be kicking themselves for losing and both feel as if there were moments where all they needed was that one more score and they would have won. I think that was also true with the Niners when they had that 10-point lead and they had the possibility if they could have just stretched that to 13, but obviously definitely to 17, but that would have been game over. And And basically in both instances... Yes, the teams that mounted the comebacks deserve credit because they did improve their play. They rode their luck. They didn't give up on themselves. They deserve credit for that. But the teams in the lead, in both instances, will say that they had every opportunity to put the game away, and it was more their bad play than anything that the opposition did that led to them losing. Yeah, I agree in the sense that the Niners should be frustrated that that was a game they had and let away. I will say, though, that the Rams played a much better game in winning than the Bengals did in winning. Yeah, the Niners-Rams game was weird because statistically it felt like... It, to, to me, what it you, felt like you, to me is the Rams would sustain drives and then somehow screw it up, whether it was an interception... Yeah a missed field goal, turnover on downs. You know, there was like three solid drives they had where they got three points and they should have probably gotten close to 21, you know, and that, so in that sense, I think they had, they deserved to win, but I also think the Niners deserved to win that game as well. Um, they both would have been disappointed in whoever had lost that game. Um, and obviously um, the safety for the Niners uh tart, tart right yeah he is going to yeah. be very disappointed for a very long time yeah i mean it's it's honestly one of the worst drops i've seen from someone a defensive player it's rare that you have that opportunity he's completely turned around he's watching the ball it's like he's a receiver and the ball's being thrown to him like i mean the shitty very punt. fact that even <laughs> yeah the fact that they even the call from uh the announcer was and he's like stafford's been intercepted before the ball had even made it to Tart, it was the call of it's been an interception. And then it was like, oh, no, he's dropped it. And not only because I think the game probably is over at that point, just because of the interception and the field position they would have got, even if he had just fallen over. But he had tons of space in front of him. He's probably easily retaking that for another 10, 15, 20 yards and putting them automatically into field goal position. But, I mean... My reaction to the Niners-Rams game, I do agree with you a little bit. Like The Rams were consistently able to get the ball going and then were kind of getting in, getting in their own way. And statistically, when you looked at the 
game, you know, at any point. It's sort of if you were just looking at time of possession and yards, you would have felt like the Rams were winning. But then the eye test of actually watching the game, it felt like the Niners were kind of in control. They were able to pick up first downs whenever they really needed to. And Shanahan, I mean, he's building a very bad resume at this point of in the fourth quarter, his play calling offensively is extremely questionable. That is obviously now the Super Bowl against the Patriots, the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, and this NFC Championship game where he has had double-digit leads in the fourth quarter and blown them and had plenty of times when he's had the ball and the chance to kind of kill the game off. So let me just I'll, – I'll read you the stats real quick and you can keep going. So in the fourth quarter, they had three possessions. One was six plays for 36 yards where they had the one first down and then stalled. And then three plays for negative five yards, and then the fateful uh, Jimmy G interception of three plays minus three yards. So those were their three yeah, so drives they, in the fourth quarter. They had no um, positive offensive yards in the final twelve minutes of the game, even though they had the ball twice. That's pretty damning in and of itself. But I think more to the point, even just I think Debo Samuel last touched the ball with something like twelve minutes left in the game. Then you have two more possessions and Debo Samuel, the guy who you've relied on and we've spoken about, right? We came into that game saying, hey, the great thing about Shanahan is he gets his playmakers involved. And then he stopped getting his playmakers involved and all of a sudden you were relying on people where you're like, I don't know if you necessarily on the final possession, you want to be throwing these screen passes and out passes to your less reliable receivers. Also, I, I hated... I hated the play calling when they had the third and when well, they had the second and two, which they then just ran into a ton of players. Then third and two, they run into it again. And then fourth and two, McVeigh calls a ridiculous, throws a ridiculous challenge flag, which gives the Niners all day to prepare to kind of think up their play. I mean, they were all, at this point, what, right around midfield, maybe just inside the Rams half, and they decide to punt. And I know that all of the analytics says you should absolutely go for it. I think from a win percentage, it said like going for it could have swung. It was a 76% win percentage if they went for it. I think that dropped to 53% by punting. But I mean, you have this. Now, admittedly, the run game was not particularly good in that game. I think the Rams made a major commitment to take the run game away from the Niners and it it worked. But still... you know, you, you had an offense that all season has been able to pick up two yards kind of whenever you've needed it to, and then you get to a crucial game and decide, no, we'll punt this and trust our defense. And the defense is very good, but the defense hadn't been stopping the Rams. I mean, the Rams had been putting on sustained drives. So you kind of knew, look, even if we punt this to the Rams and they get the ball on their own 10, there's a very good chance they put themselves in field goal position. Yeah, and I will make note that Eddie has is still wearing his 49ers hat, so even in defeat, he is still supporting. I'm not fair weather, but you know, it was disappointing. And I mean, I guess the big talking point, just probably the end of Jimmy G, certainly in the Bay Area. Uh, and if that is his final play for the 49ers, what a not play. A, a pretty a pretty ugly way to sign off. <laughs> what a play to end on. So yeah, supposedly they're already looking for trade destinations for him. That's already been yeah. um, I mean, he's said. <laughs> not helped his trade value with that performance. I mean, I really, I don't want to say he was the reason they lost that game because there were multiple reasons and the Rams also played pretty well. But definitely 
I, I kind of feel like he was the reason. There's there's about 20 other quarterbacks in the NFL that if you stuck them in on that Niners team in that game, they win. Yeah, so that's actually and, what I want to ask you, Eddie, is when you have a minute 46 left on the clock and you're down by three on the 25-yard line, how much confidence do you have against a Rams defense? I had zero. Yeah. No, no, I just had zero. <laughs> no, like I, I didn't even in, – in some ways it was sweet relief that there was an interception on the third down rather than just watching a pathetic fourth down incompletion. I mean – and I'll also say you're talking about uh, Mahomes not making the right reads. Even on that possession, I think he had a player open on pretty much every play they called, but he just held on to the ball. He did the thing that Jimmy G does, which is like he stares down that initial read, and then if it is not there, then he immediately moved on. He, he kind of just panicked. And I thought that was frustrating because when you really go back and look at those plays, he has people open for the you know five, six, seven yards. And as we've spoken about multiple times, that's all you need to do. You don't need a 40-yard play. You're just trying to get into field goal territory. You had one timeout. So you have time is not an issue fundamentally when you're in that position. Like no, time not for is not going to be the especially. reason. No, I mean, time is not going to be the reason. 13 you... seconds. <laughs> sure. That, that's, that's probably not doable for the Niners, but you, but you know what I mean? Like you, you have all the time in the world and, and to sort of fail. I mean, just, but yeah, again, there, I, I, I think you bring up a great point too. What you said before is the play calling you have you have an opportunity still to get it in your playmaker's hands you have a minute 46 you can run you know like a like an end around with Samuel you can run some sort of wide receiver screen with Samuel maybe you don't want to do a off tackle just standard run but you can still have ways to get him the ball with some space and have it be close to a run you had tons of time minute 46 to get 50 yards that's nothing you know you got you got Robbie good as gold out there he can kick it from 60 if you need to well maybe but no yeah I mean it was it was a bad ending and a bad ending to a good season I think that's and look a season where at times they looked exactly like how they looked in that fourth quarter so it wasn't the most surprising thing right there were several weeks of the season where the I think we saw over the course of that game the two different or three different maybe versions of the Niners that we saw over the course of this season. And they all showed, they kind of all reared their good and ugly heads at different moments in that game. To a certain extent, I think we saw the same from the Rams where at times when Cooper cup is, is getting involved, they their offense looks electric. And then the next thing you know, you have Matthew Stafford just making an awful throw. And I mean, Matthew Stafford's got to be the happiest guy on earth in some respects because he came very, very close. If Tart catches that interception, then, you know, on Monday, people are talking about, well, bad trade from the Rams in the end. This is why Stafford was never the man. He just kind of never quite had it in him. He was always going to choke it away at the key moment. What a terrible play by Matthew Stafford. And instead, he come, everyone, because he won, and it's such an outcome-based analysis, people are saying, this is Rams' great trade. Year to the day that they agreed to the trade, what a great trade by the Rams. Major winners. Matthew Stafford came in with the goal of taking them to the Super Bowl. He's already done it. Oh, we always knew Stafford had this in him. He just was on a terrible team in Detroit. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, as it is, 
332 TDs and an interception sounds pretty good, but had it been 282 TDs and two interceptions, that sounds a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 100%. So obviously next week we'll do a big Super Bowl preview, um, and we've got some fun things we've been thinking about. Maybe we can integrate some of our some of our alter ego podcasts of Soup Juice into it and kind of look at some of the the food side of the Super Bowl, especially um, with our friend Vasilis, our quirky Greek friend, those of you who don't know, who once said he could eat 100 wings and then bowed out miserably after 50 because he felt full. So maybe we can convince him for the Super Bowl, he needs to do a super feat and eat 100 wings. That could be something we could think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, over the course of the Super Bowl, he could definitely eat 100 wings. That wouldn't be a challenge for him. You'd need to give him a time limit. Because if you just told him if he's there two hours before the game and he has until the game's over, he can eat 100 wings. Easy. Speaking of food, this is just a small topic I'd, I'd come across this today. I was cracking up laughing. Is there any chance, Eddie, that you've seen the brawl that happened at the Golden Corral out in, I believe it was Pennsylvania. I could be wrong. Um, I don't want to throw Pennsylvania under the under the the rug here. Yes, it was in Pennsylvania. Do you even know what a Golden Corral is? Let's start with that. <laughs> yes, I know what a Golden Corral is. I'm more intrigued by your not wanting to throw them under the rug expression there. But <laughs> Sweep them uh, under the yes, rug. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know what a Golden Corral is, and no, I did not see the video of the brawl. Okay, so for those who don't know what a Golden Corral is, it's maybe you've heard of like Sizzler or something like that, where it's kind of an all-you-can-eat buffet that has steak as one of the options, so you can get different varieties of steak in an all-you-can-eat format. Um, Take what you will from that, and you probably have the right idea of what this type of establishment is. (laughs) Um, But yes, apparently they had run out of steak and someone had cut the line to get steak when there was a very limited amount of it. And it started a full out brawl from what looked like two main families uh, that were both in line. It didn't look like a very crowded restaurant, but it looked like two families were in line and a member from one family cut the other family and then it just got escalated super quickly and people were picking up high chairs and throwing them at people in point blank range. And then people were taking plates and throwing them and then chairs. And then someone picked up a table and tried to like run at the crowd with the, with the end of the table. It got crazy. Uh, and there was just the, the response was, was amazing. There were some really good comments on Twitter. So one of them was, when we run out of steak, run for your life. Golden Corral's new slogan. <laughs> someone walking into Golden Corral, someone says, I'm not here to make friends. Get out of my way. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> and then the the kind of the icing on the cake is while this whole scene is unfolding, there's one big sign on the back wall and it says gather round. So it's supposed to be like this, like, like, like homey place. And here you have two families just brawling it out. Uh, it was pretty, it's, if you haven't, if anyone hasn't seen this, definitely search Golden Corral Brawl. It was a pretty intense one. 
I'll have to check it out. I have not seen it myself, so I have to give it a look. I'm always a big fan of the uh, the public fight videos. Yeah, always amusing. Have you ever been involved in a food fight, Eddie? Um, when I was a kid, yeah. Like I in high school, I definitely remember being in like. No, no, no. I can remember being in maybe second or third grade, and and like a little mini food fight breaking out in the cafeteria. That definitely happened. Oh, we had we had a good one in high school. Seems like a kind of juvenile activity for high schoolers, I have to say. Oh, oh it was terribly juvenile. I mean, this wasn't even the worst of some of the stuff we would do. We just happened to have a good group of people in our lunch time. Because you know how it's like everyone gets different lunch times. We just had a really good table and we would wreak havoc on people. I mean, the norm would be kind of just like someone would be coming to the table with their lunch and we would just like flip their tray over and just ruin their lunch for them. Another really, really good one. One of my all-time favorites we used to do is, so you'd have lunch and then there was only one way out and it was like two big double doors. So we would sneak up to the front, me and like three other people, and we would get there first, like as if we were like going to run out and go to class. And we would, as soon as the bell would ring, we would walk really, really, really slowly and just have people pile up behind us and people would try and push out of the way. But we were all, you know, like bigger kids. So no one could push out of the way and people would get so antsy like, I need to get to class. And we would just keep like blocking the entrance for as long as we can. And it was, it was way before the, the hold the door, but maybe Hodor was inspired by that, by that scene in our lunchroom. <laughs> maybe. Did you have to pay for lunch at high school? Yes. Okay. So, so flipping someone's lunch over really kind of sucked. Yeah. The other thing we would do is when people would come out of lunch, we'd like clip them. So like we would hide behind, like you would walk straight out of the lunchroom and we would hide to the left. And then one of one of, one of our friends would come out. We would kind of just dive bomb at their knees and they'd kind of like flip over us coming out of the lunchroom. Uh, we did a lot of good stuff. That was during Furlong's jackass phase where he was filming everything he did. So we have like all this on film and stuff. It's pretty funny. <laughs> nice. have to say that new jackass movie is coming out and I've rarely been less interested in something that at one moment in my life, the fact that they're transitioning to a new crew, zero interest for me. Yeah. You know, when I first watched the trailer, I kind of thought the same thing. Like I have no interest, but then when I watched it again, I kind of had that feeling of, Oh, I used to find this really funny and I kind of miss it. Like I haven't seen these type of stupid pranks in a really long time that it got me reminiscing because like I said, we used to do some of that crap and kind of just prank everyone and film it and just show it and laugh and all that. So it kind of brought back good memories and I was slightly interested in watching it. I doubt I will. But there's definite know. nostalgia. I, I can I can agree with you. And it's one of those things that did have such an impact on like late middle school, early high school in terms of how I interacted with my friends and stuff. So I do agree with you in that respect. Like there's definite it brings back very fond memories for me. Uh, probably also some memories like some kind of cringy memories in terms of just overall 
how I was behaving probably at that time and dressing yeah. like the whole like skater look and and like everyone kind of being into skating even though no one was good at skating that kind of thing but yeah it was I I don't think I'll be able to watch it probably time to retire for all of them just always feels like a little bit of a money grab and I guess switching from one group of people who should retire to one person who has retired Tom Brady has officially announced that he is retiring Ugh, from the NFL. Finally. There was <laughs> there was a couple of days of will he won't he? Obviously the news broke from ESPN that he was going to he was planning on retiring. Kind of doesn't it was kind of a meaningless statement if you really think about it. It, it. There was no set timeline of when he ESPN didn't say Tom Brady is announcing that he is retiring today or tomorrow. It was just like at some point he's planning on retiring. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> Tom Brady will not other... play till he dies, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and uh the thing I find weird about it is cuz then Tom Brady has that podcast which comes out I think on Tuesdays. Let's every go. Tuesday with Jim yeah. Gray. It's on and, NFL Network, uh, Eddie. Yeah, and Larry Fitzgerald. And nobody can cover on... us, Jim. <laughs> That's like the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that. But it said it's as if Tom Brady, they just like handed him this cue card with no context. And he's like, no one can cover us, Jim. <laughs> but he said that he was still making his mind up on the podcast. So whenever they recorded that, be that Monday evening or whenever it was, Tuesday, Mondays, he yeah. says he's he's making his mind up and then 24 hours I, I later. I didn't get that. You know, wouldn't that have been the perfect platform when you have the mic, literally have the mic versus an Instagram post? Yeah. And, and part of me felt like he was annoyed that the news had been broken, that he wasn't able to do it completely on his own terms. And then there was that moment where I thought maybe if he even if he had been planning on retiring, now he's going to come back for another season just because he it doesn't like him the off. fact, yeah, <laughs> that ESPN have announced this, and so he's going to be like, no, 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 I'm going to I'm going to show that you guys are unreliable with your breaking news, so I'm coming back. I mean, maybe and, that was I mean, part his, of it. Maybe, maybe he legitimately maybe he for a second, that. out of spite, was going to do that. And, and so in the end, he's said that basically he's retired because he says that his teammates, coaches, fellow competitors, and fans deserve 100% of me. But right now, it's best I leave the field of play to the next generation of dedicated and committed athletes. Yeah, just like Jack. I have to, yeah, I have to admit, it's, it's disappointing. I mean, we always spoke about the fact, right, when you have these athletes who kind of keep you feeling young because they've been in your life for, in Tom Brady's case, 22 years. So literally from when I was, you know, very young i think it's just the fact that it kind of gets the news gets broken by espn and then he ends up kind of confirming it on instagram a couple of days later it just felt a little bit like an anti-climax to an otherwise incredible career and i like the fact that he hasn't made a big deal about it and that he hasn't done the retirement tour kind of thing like uh drew Brees has done or you know but kobe yeah, Kobe. Being serious. Um, I mean, Kobe did that where like everyone gave him a jersey every place he went. Uh, Derek Jeter. Like every team gave him a present. Yeah, Derek Jeter, yep. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and then it was like teams competing against each other to give Derek Jeter the best present, which is, I mean, that's 
credit to him, very good idea in the end that you just get people being like, oh, no, no, we want to give Derek the best present ever, even though he's been a competitor of ours who's like ruined our, our playoff hopes multiple times over the course of the last 20 years. But I, I don't know. Good for him. He, he gets to retire on his own terms and he's healthy and he, he's achieved everything that you could ever hope to achieve, right? No one's ever going to surpass his career in terms of longevity. The fact that he has, you could split his career into two different sections and their Hall of Fame careers. That's crazy. There's not many athletes where that's the case, but I would have liked to have seen him continue. I would have liked another year out of him. And, and honestly, I want him to go for 50. I did want him to try and make it to 50. That's a long way off. Six years is a long time, especially in your late 40s. But I thought the, the 50 as a target would have been quite cool. Yeah, I completely agree. I would like to have seen him keep keep playing. I mean, maybe – I don't want to say this is the end of Tom Brady. I think that is a premature statement. You could see a one-year layoff, and then he comes back on a team that just needs a QB like the Niners to push over the edge. If he had retired last year and then this had all just happened and the Niners get rid of Jimmy G, I would say there's a high probability that Brady says, okay, I'll come back and play for my hometown team that I rooted for growing up because they're good and I think we can win a Super Bowl. I would not even – that would be so feasible to me. Unfortunately, the years just don't work out that way, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's another team a year or two down the line even that – has that scenario so i don't want to say we never see him again but it is disappointing because he was still at such a high level and i know the argument is you don't want to see qbs or players you love playing at a subpar level but he wasn't even really close to that drop off yet he was still a top five top three qb in the league i mean let's say top he 10. could at least went one or two more years let's say top <laughs> 10 i think top three is Maybe stretching it. Let's say top 10, and I think no one would really argue with top 10, and that's a pretty good place. Okay, I think I think a debate might pop up there, but I agree with you. It's not definitely the end. I think at the same time, I don't know if I want to see Tom Brady at the end of his career being this gun for hire, just because you do risk sort of changing the perception of your career. I so strongly associate him with the Patriots, and you do run this risk that if he spends – a couple of years floating around the league, going from team to team, trying to win Super Bowls because they're in the best position to win, that suddenly it's not, oh, Tom Brady, the guy I think of being on the Patriots. It's Tom Brady, that guy who played for six different teams. Kind of the LeBron James. I think what LeBron James will suffer from slightly is that, all right, you were a Cavs. I think of you with the Cavs. And then, all right, you went to the Heat for a while. And, okay, you've gone back to the Cavs. That's cool. Okay, now you're at the Lakers. And let's not rule out the fire, the possibility that if the Lakers, who are an absolute absolute dumpster fire this season, that LeBron James doesn't find his way onto a different team next season because he wants to be relevant. It, 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 it could kind of, in that respect, I'm happy that he's signed off and it's only two seasons and you kind of got why he left the Patriots. He went somewhere else. He won a Super Bowl. That's great. And he signs off, right, with a good fourth quarter. You know, the, f- the final quarter of football <laughs> he's played in the NFL is good. The f- the, yep. fi- the last offensive pers- um, uh, possession that he has ends in a touch- a game-tying touchdown. And the and last burning touchdown Jalen pass- Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, the last touchdown pass he throws is a 60-yarder. So 
Suck it, Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> There's a lot of good there, so you can see it's a nice ending to an incredible career, but it's so disappointing. Here was the question I had. Was it strange that he didn't mention the Patriots at all in his retirement message? Or do you think there's a bigger retirement speech to be had here? I'm sure that they'll bring him back for something bigger. And I get the impression that he didn't want to. And this is probably why he's annoyed. This may even be why he was annoyed that ESPN broke the news. I don't think he wants to try and steal the limelight away from the NFL playoffs. I don't think he wants it to be, oh, 10 days before the Super Bowl, here's the big announcement, Tom Brady. Like, Let Tom Brady be in the news for a week in the build-up to the Super Bowl and kind of take away from these other players and their accomplishments this season. So I do think there's part of me that thinks there will be bigger announcements and more fanfare post-season. But, and that's probably why he was a little bit annoyed that the news came out and maybe slightly forced his hand to announce it before the Super Bowl had wrapped up. Also, if you're a skeptic, right, part of the reason, I think, I don't know what the date was, but he had a date where he gets his salary for next season uh, if he was an active player on the roster. And I think it might have been the 1st of February. So if you're being really skeptical, the difference between him retiring on Saturday versus Tuesday was about $16 million. So, (laughs) I mean, if all you have to do is hang on for three more days, I'm hanging on for three more days, even if... He has all the money in the world, but still, why wouldn't you get more free money? Yeah. The other thing about it, too, is we keep saying he was probably annoyed that it was leaked. How many times are people going to get annoyed at people like Adam Schefter and then still let him get the news? You know, like someone's still telling him these things. Like at what point are people going to say, stop telling Adam Schefter because he's an asshole and he's breaking the news that we don't want him to? (laughs) I mean, that's his job, right? You you kind of... You can't blame him. His only job. No, is no, I'm not. I'm not blaming no, no, no. him. Right. No, but I, but I mean from people because there's no way you can you can't you know if you talk about it in sort of PR or or news sense or you put an embargo on it and you say don't speak about this until a certain date. His entire job, the only reason he exists, is to get news and to tweet about it as quickly as he can. That's it. That's his only value. It's not as if he's breaking down things and coming up with some incredible analysis of the situation. He's literally like, I heard this, I've said it. I've heard this, I've said it. I've heard this, I've said it. That's like all he exists. And as long as every once in a while, as long as his success rate is 20, 30%, and every one once in a while it's a big story, he keeps his job. And I mean, also, you know, we have to keep in mind Tom Brady's complicated relationship with ESPN. And I think with Adam Schefter as a result of Deflategate and some of the other controversies from across his career, it's not exactly a network that he has got along with super well. So it probably also annoyed him that they're then the ones breaking this big news on his behalf. So, I mean, I think we should wait until Tom Brady makes a bigger retirement speech, probably after the Super Bowl, where we can discuss how amazing Tom Brady is and where he fits in the landscape of the greatest athlete ever. But I want to go back to the 2000 draft, Eddie, where, as everyone knows, there was six quarterbacks taken before Tom Brady was taken with the 199th overall pick of the draft. Who were those six quarterbacks? I mean, I've watched the Brady six 
I should be able to get this. Um, Chad Pennington. Yep. Chad Pennington is probably the most successful of the bunch. Um, the Niners drafted that guy with the Italian name who was a complete bust. Yes, but the third round, the <laughs> Niners drafted Giovanni Carmazzi. <laughs> um, He's now a yoga practicing farmer, by the way, in California. Oh, maybe we should maybe we should try and get him on the podcast. He has five goats, uh, but doesn't own a TV, so might be tough. I, I think Chad Pennington, like he had by far and away the best career of any of the ones drafted before Brady, right? Which isn't saying yep. a lot, but all the others they're so tough because they're such obscure names there's one that is still recognizable i think so you have raven selected chris redman in the third round steelers selected t martin from tennessee in the fifth round and the only other one you might know is the saints took mark bulger out of west virginia in the sixth round and then oh and by the way mark bulger is now a curler he's a competitive curler nice i think i could be instantly an olympic curler i don't know how good you are on ice well you just need that (laughs) one shoe that you can walk on right they wear the one shoe that's kind of like you're allowed to grip the ice pretty well i think instantly i would be i would be i have this here because french people love petanque or boule kind of similar to bocce ball if you're an American uh, sort of the same concept sort of curling but not on ice basically and French people insist on the fact that it, it, this is part of their culture for starters they also insist on the fact that it's very skillful and very hard I have never not attended a game of petanque or boule where I have been one of the two or three best players. I have yet to ever play against someone and go, oh my God, they are just so amazing at this. There is no way I could have done what they just did. And I just think because French people have such terrible hand-eye coordination. <laughs> it doesn't help. They don't play any sport, like throwing sports typically aside from handball, which is pretty popular. I mean, handball is the other big argument. I mean, handball only survives because oh, like, of a certain a other handball name. player. I mean, let's put it like if the U.S. men's basketball team decided to enter in the next Olympics, but in, instead play handball, I think they win the gold medal. <laughs> yeah, probably. Goalie aside, that would be the one where they would need because the goalkeepers is pretty, you know, like they're reading the angles, making themselves big at the right time, the reaction speed and stuff. You would you would need a goalie who understood what he was doing. But aside from I what mean, if LeBron you just James, mix, what if you just mix water polo and the and NBA and put together a team? it'd be interesting i don't know i mean i would just rather take the u.s current handball goalie if that's an option (laughs) no i mean as a team like you're saying if if the u.s put together a team i think if the u.s took their best water polo players and put them with some of the best nba athletes they would field a pretty diesel team oh yeah for sure they're they're definitely winning a medal like i get no part of me doesn't think that LeBron James wouldn't instantly be the most dominant handball player in the world. Like I just, I just can't believe that he's not. And I hate being the overall discussion when people think that great athletes in one sport would automatically be great athletes in the other. Kind of bothered me too, even with the Joe Burrow discussion after this weekend, which like, Oh, look at these videos of Joe Burrow playing high school basketball. He was so good. 
doesn't surprise me that a really good high school athlete in one sport was a pretty good high school athlete in another sport. <laughs> kind of happens with every high school athlete. But when people think LeBron James would be the most dominant soccer player, he probably wouldn't because he can't use his feet. Like he, you know, like those are different level. They're different skills. Your center of gravity from one sport to another kind of matters. But when you're comparing a sport like handball to basketball, where it literally is dribbling down a court, jumping in the air, kind of moving around people, I think you'd be you'd be all and, right. And a sport where height plays a predominant role. Yeah, in height your and size. Yeah. Yeah. And for all of you out there who are screaming at us right now, the sixth quarterback drafted ahead of Tom Brady was Spurgeon Wynn by the Cleveland Browns with the 183rd overall pick. Great name. Is it? (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those names where if you're the right person, great name. Like if you're very cool, Spurgeon Wynn is an amazing name, which you have to assume for a lot of his life. He must have been a really good high school athlete, gone to college, played quarterback, then Spurgeon win. Awesome name. Once you're the NFL bust, not such a good name. How about how he currently is? Spurgeon win the energy broker. Oh, we're gonna, we got to get Spurgeon win on the podcast. I'm going to make this a goal. <laughs> Let's see how many of the Brady six we could get on the podcast to talk about Tom Brady. <laughs> just Tom Brady. Don't ever ask him a question about themselves. <laughs> no. So what was it like being drafted before Tom Brady? <laughs> when did you realize that you were going to go down in history as a guy drafted before Tom Brady? How quickly did that thought set in? Yeah, then our intro is, and today on the podcast, we have the sixth quarterback taken ahead of Tom Brady. This person was the 183rd overall pick. Hello, sixth round pick of the Cleveland Browns. What do you feel about Tom Brady? Spurgeon win has a LinkedIn. Hundred percent, we can get him on the podcast. Spurgeon win the third. That's our new goal, listeners. You can look forward to a whole Brady six series. There's probably two of them we may not be able to get, but I'll set the over under at two point five, and I think we're hitting the over. Yeah, Adam Schefter is going to break this news that the Brady six is going to be on the Big Chill podcast. And then maybe Brady feels compelled to come on. He's He can't allow the Brady Six to have anything he doesn't have. So he has to come on to round things off and steal the limelight one more time. And then he just only can talk about them. <laughs> we don't ask him anything about his career. We <laughs> ask him about the careers of the other six. <laughs> yeah. What if was Jackson's the- best play? Yeah. yeah. If you could have had any of Spurgeon Wynn's attributes, which one would it have been? And I guess to uh, round off our NFL talk for the week, been the coaching merry-go-round has been in full effect now that more and more teams have wrapped up their seasons. The vacancies are, are starting to fill up and speculation, at least strong speculation to, as to who is filling which role has built up. So obviously you as a Giants fan already uh, signed up your your next head coach. What's the feeling on that? Yeah, I got new general manager and new head coach, Brian Dabble. I'm pretty excited. I think that was a best case scenario. Um, maybe the only other one being Brian Flores, I think would have been a good hire. Um, but we can get into that <laughs> Brian Flores issue later. 
but this was one where given the Giants track record over the last five or six years, you just worry that they take the worst of the options. And here I think they took the best. And I think they did the right approach where bringing in the general manager from the Bills slightly ensured that they would have the jump on Brian Dabble, who was coming from the offensive coordinator for the Bills. But you have a guy, you know, and I'm not comparing Josh Allen to Daniel Jones. But if there is a player currently that you would say Daniel Jones slightly resembles in the NFL, it is someone like Josh Allen. They're both very tall. They have a strong arm. They're deceivingly good runners. They can scramble out of the pocket pretty well. Josh Allen obviously is on a completely different level. But this is a guy as an offensive coordinator that took in Josh Allen, who was a pretty raw talent at the time, and has now helped him to become one of the elite passers. And I don't want, I don't, I'm not naive to think Daniel Jones is going to be an elite passer, but if you can just bump him up into the top 12, I'd be happy with that. I think that's significant progress for a guy who had some potential and has had no help in achieving any of his potential. So I think that was a smart hire on that side. You can't knock the Bills offense. I mean, it's been rock solid these past two years. So you're bringing that offense in, which is going to be nice. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, the only downside is he suffered from the Ben McAdoo suit fiasco of buying an unfitted suit to his press conference and looking like a real dweeb with pants that are about six sizes too big for him. I don't understand how when you sign a multi-million dollar contract as a head coach, you can't just spend the extra two, three hundred dollars and and fit that suit. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Americans with suits is oftentimes pretty questionable. Um, and certainly the NFL culture surrounding suits, like when you still tune in to get caught like game day every Sunday, the suits that they have on with the massive lapels and like big shoulders and like a little bit too baggy and both the arms and the pants. It's just a real throwback to a style of suit that just kind of is not in fashion anymore. It's sort of crazy. And just the patterns. Like I always find there's that, there's, there's the, um, there's like the U S announcer jacket style, you know, that you see them wearing, which is a jacket where you're like, I would never ever wear this, but you'll, you're going to see, you know, one announcer a week has to have on the jacket with a weird pattern and stuff. And a kind of nod to how announcers used to dress, I guess. But yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, I think it's a good appointment. And I think there is also a solid argument for just having a GM and a head coach then who, who know each other and come in with some kind of relationship. And that can smooth things out that you'll at least know that they have a solid working relationship and that it's not starting from scratch and you can kind of hit the ground running a little bit faster given the fact that they already know each other. So I do think that's a big benefit. You obviously alluded to the the Flores situation. Miami are trying to fill their head coaching role. Supposedly the offensive coordinator from the Niners is in pole position for that. I guess they were so impressed by their fourth quarter play calling that they decided they had to snap him up. I mean he is he's an interesting character. I'm surprised he's already in the in the running for a head coaching position, but uh, looks like he's getting the job. And then the big news, I guess, for the Vikings, supposedly heavily courting Jim Harbaugh and trying to bring him back into the NFL. Weird move. 
now that he's finally seemingly getting some level of success in Michigan, maybe the theory from his perspective is leave them wanting more. Maybe this is just a play on his part to get Michigan to give him even more money. So this is just a great way <laughs> even to get him. more. Well, no, but you know what I mean? He's already on a huge contract, but maybe this is a great way to be like. I know that's what uh, I mean. Like he's already one of the highest paid coaches in college football. <laughs> but this is a great way to be like, look, we had our best season in, you know, however many years that is. If you want me to stay, then better be a new contract sitting on my desk in the next two weeks. Yeah, the Flores one is interesting, Eddie, because, you know, all indications from the Dolphins, maybe they want the Niners offensive coordinator after they saw Jimmy G throw away that game at the end because apparently they were paying off Brian Flores to lose games (laughs) to get a better draft pick, according to Flores. Yeah, Yeah, so Flores has filed a lawsuit uh both for kind of wrongful termination against the dolphins but also lawsuits against the broncos and the giants for not following nfl regulations in terms of seeing him as a genuine candidate the rooney rule and the requirement to interview uh minority candidates for head coaching positions and they feel he feels as if they only he was a kind of token interview just so that they could check the box on the Rooney rule rather than a legitimate candidate. Now, the accusations, I think, against the Dolphins, easier to prove. Everything else is him speculating that he wasn't a serious candidate. I don't know how you win that well, lawsuit. Be- except Bill Belichick spilled the beans. <laughs> well, well, Bill Belichick, but the, the easy excuse then from the Giants, so for people unaware, Bill Belichick sent a text message to Flores. Now, he claims, or the, the story <laughs> claims, accidentally. I don't believe Bill Belichick. He was Bill supposed Belichick. to be sending it to Dabble, to Brian Dabble. Yeah, congratulating him on the fact that he was the front runner for the position. Flores then got confused and asked if Belichick was sending the message to the right person, at which point Belichick realized that he wasn't. I don't understand are we assuming that Bell, Bill Belichick doesn't save people's numbers and that he just has like former colleagues' numbers written down somewhere and has gone, oh, oh shit, I texted the wrong guy. Like nothing about that story makes any sense. Their names aren't similar. So it's not as if you could even have slipped up as you typed out the contact. Contact. I mean, I guess their first name starts with the first same first letter, but still. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of bees, though. But um, I think that's just Belichick doing what Belichick does and, and stirring the pot and getting one back on the Giants one last time, maybe. But the accusations against the Dolphins, far easier to prove and in many ways far more serious. Not to downplay the fact that teams aren't following the Rooney rule, but Flores claims that the... Dolphins rewarded him for losing, encouraged him to lose games to try and get the Dolphins a better draft pick in the first season that he joined and incentivized this by offering him $100,000 for each game that they lost. Which we always talk about, right? Our coaches incentivized to lose games, and here's a legit monetary value of incentivization. (laughs) Yeah, which is a pretty decent win bonus or loss bonus in this sense. Uh, he also says that they pressured him into recruiting a prominent quarterback at the end of the 2019 season. 
which he refused to do as it would have violated the NFL's tampering rules. So again, not a great look. I guess that one's a little bit harder to prove. Fundamentally, the only slam dunk he kind of has there is getting paid to lose. If he can show an extra $100,000 being paid out for every time they lost a game, feels like you could put two and two together on that one. But everything else, I I mean, unless they just say, hey, uh, we gave him a bonus at the end of the season. You can't tell us why we gave it to him. It was a performance-related bonus. We thought he did better than expected. But And in the end, he basically feels as if he lost his job for overperforming, fundamentally, is what he's accusing the Dolphins of, is that they were regularly putting pressure on him to lose games, both in his first season and then in this season when things were going wrong. And by overperforming, he ended up losing his job. I mean, I don't know enough about law to know if that's a lawsuit, but it's crazy to think he got fired because, according to the Dolphins, he was confrontational. And the reason he was confrontational was because his boss was telling him to purposely be bad at his job and he was saying no i'm going to be good at my job so the outcome was we're going to fire you for being good at your job when we're telling you not to that's insane to think about it is and i guess sports is unique right or certainly american sports where you are rewarded for failing and so it does raise this kind of gray area of but if we brought you in and the long-term benefit for the team was for us to lose games and you have gone against that and won his games, you are actually, you'll argue you're overperforming and we'll argue you're underperforming because we have a five-year, 10-year plan in place and you're ruining it for the next six months. So it does raise a kind of interesting argument as to how could your performance be assessed if you've been sat down and the team has said like, look, year one, year two, we need to lose a lot of games and have high draft picks. That's the only way we're going to get better. And NFL history would kind of tell you that's actually correct. Like the only way you do get better is having a couple high draft picks and, and nailing it with a quarterback who's a game changing. You know, if you don't have a top 10 pick to get a quarterback, it, it becomes, we've just gone through the, the Tom Brady scenario, but it's very unlikely that you do manage to find that quarterback who just changes your franchise around, turns it around. Yeah. And it also blows my mind that he was given $100,000 to be bad at this game, and the average U.S. salary is about $55,000. So he's making double, almost double the average salary in one week to purposely be bad at his job. That is an amazing statistic when you wrap it around the bigger context of the U.S. And, and also why it's hard to have too much sympathy for him at the same time. Because if you are getting these massive bonuses for being fundamentally incompetent, it's hard to feel too bad for you. You could also argue, hey, look, if you were that upset by this, you should have called them on it at the time. Like you waited, you were happy taking these bonuses clearly, and you were happy hanging around the dolphins until you lost your job. And then you, then all of this comes out of the woodwork. Where was this at the time? You know, like when you got, when the owner sat you down and said, hey, I'm going to give you a $100,000 bonus every time you lose a game, why don't you instantly get on the phone to Adam Schefter, tell him that, resign as head coach of the Dolphins, and have your lawsuit there and then. How many times are we going to drop Schefter's name? 
Shefty's name. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no. Yeah, interesting. Speaking of the salaries, did you see, I think it was last week, there was a little article that came out about um, the professor from the Wharton Business School at UPenn who asked her students how much they think the average U.S. salary is. And I did tw- not see this. So, yeah. So they, she I asked, bet you they were massively out of touch. 25% said over $100,000, and one student said 800000 <laughs> Can I have that person as a friend, please? Yeah. <laughs> I think it would make my life a lot easier. Uh, that's uh. funny. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I, I'm I don't be honest understand with you. that. I, I, don't, I don't think you should get your degree. I think if you're going to business school and you're, you're getting an MBA and your goal is to go out and be a, you know, a manager or a leader within a business and you don't even have, you're completely at it. A hundred thousand I can get. I'll, I wouldn't be too critical of someone saying $100,000 because they could come back and say, yes, I know a ton of people earn under 100000 but I would have thought it got dragged up just by the number of people earning in the million, blah, blah, blah. I can accept that. $800,000. you are going to hire people? Hey, how much should we pay this intern? I was thinking maybe $250,000 a year. <laughs> yeah, I want to be that person's personal assistant. <laughs> I'll just take the yeah. I'll just take the U.S. average. I mean, eight hundred thousand. It's called called a day. I'm not gonna fight yeah, you. I'm not gonna fight you on three four hundred thousand more. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'll do even that. I'll even take ten percent under the average for the first year, and if I prove myself, then you know, ten percent over the average year too. Listen, you're getting me to deal six hundred thousand, and you've got me for twenty hours a week, three days a week. <laughs> it's only because I'm desperate. Otherwise, you're lucky I got no other offers under the table or else I would really be negotiating a lot harder with you here. Man, just I can't picture what that person's life is like. I I mean, you're a college student, right? So you're clearly going to places like a Starbucks. Well, you're not really a – you're a business student. So in all likelihood, you probably already worked. You can go to Wharton School as an undergrad. I know you. I don't can, know if they I'm were gonna... undergrads or grads. Okay, because I'm kind of assuming they're MBA. Okay, so even if they're MBA students, you have to have at least assumed that they've went to a place like a Starbucks once or twice in their life. Do they genuinely think that the person in Starbucks? Let's say they acknowledge that they're not making the mean; they're making below. But that would mean that they think they're making like three to four hundred thousand dollars as a barista. Certainly six figures. Yeah. It basically means they think there are very few people in the U.S. earning under $100,000. Yeah. Like, I mean, hey, that would be a great world. I mean, inflation would be horrific, but it would be a great world. (laughs) Unless they thought that the world was so top-heavy that it brought the averages way up, which is, again, if you're in business school and you're thinking that, then maybe you shouldn't be in business school. Yeah, that's why I would give people the benefit of the doubt on the 100,000. It's not so far off base. And you could say, like, look, I know that the vast majority of people are actually earning sub 100,000, but I just thought that Bill Gates and Elon Musk and whatever are dragging us all up by... That 1% is is pulling everything up. Exactly. 
you could make that argument and be like, okay, it's not the best guess ever, but it's not ridiculous. But if you if you think that the the average is being dragged up by seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars because of the even call it the top ten percent, then again, it's not a great it's not a great sign that your understanding of the business world and mathematics and statistics. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not also. Great. It's also not good in the backdrop that UPenn is in Philadelphia, which I think might be the poorest city in the United States. <laughs> not a good, yeah. not a good look. No, no, a lot of issues there. Yeah. Speaking, Speaking of, of, I don't know if you did. Oh, oh, are we going to go same thing? Going? Are we going to do the same thing? We'll see. I was going to say. Speaking of issues, there was an issue with a person in. England. And I don't know if that's all I'm allowed to say. So now, so uh, yeah, so you're referring to, I mean, we can undoubtedly say, I think we're not really supposed to, but we can undoubtedly say uh, Mason Greenwood uh, has been arrested and accused of sexual assault. and No, 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 no. We can't say that. I thought we can say that someone has been arrested who has been accused of assault. And then on a separate note, Coincidentally, Mason Greenwood has been arrested. Mason Greenwood has been arrested. <laughs> Technically, yes, but under British privacy laws, that is what we're supposed to say as members of the press, and we are, you know, we fall into that category. But we, technically, yes, you are not supposed. It's a complicated one because this came to public light, and in a sense, the only way he was arrested was because videos and images were released. And they were released by the person who is accusing be careful. him of be careful. Yeah. <laughs> the person who is accusing him of being responsible for those injuries. And also there is one voice recording during which he very awful voice recording in which he is basically attempting to force someone the the person is attempting to force the other person to open their legs and have sex with him. In that moment, the word Mason is said. So there does seem to be some name confirmation in that audio recording. But yes, he has been arrested. Uh, he has been, Mason Greenwood has been suspended from all Manchester United-related activities for the until this matter is resolved. I think Nike have terminated or suspended their relationship with him. So very much could be the end of his career. I mean, there's a, assuming that these allegations are correct, which there's no reason in some respects with the level of evidence that there is, there's no reason to think that they aren't, then his career is over because he probably will just be in prison for the remaining period in which he would be possible for him to even play football professionally. So, yeah. I mean, uh, again, massive... in, in America, Eddie, you are innocent until proven guilty. I don't know what it's like across the pond. <laughs> No, no, but 100%. I mean, in, in, in all seriousness, I, it does seem that this is a truthful accusation and there is evidence to point that it there, you know, there is evidence, I guess, linking Mason Greenwood with what had happened. And it's not just some random person has come out who has no link to him and said this happened and that happened. There, there seems to be a lot of truth to it. So, and, and obviously I, I tend to believe that, you know, whenever stuff like that comes out, I, I think, I think it's crazy that people assume 
other people say things for like the spotlight and the money, but they don't understand how difficult it is for that person to come out and say those things that like, oh, no, no, it's not that hard to do that. You know, here's a person who now has put themselves into all of England's spotlight. I mean, everyone knows Mason Greenwood, right? So now everyone is going to know this person who may or may not have ended his career. So why you think yeah. you would do that just for attention is insane to me. So I definitely think if you're going to come out and say that, that you have to, there has to be truth to it. So it's right. Uh, and, and it's crazy. This is also, this is also slightly, I, I can understand sometimes when accusations are being leveled against a, a celebrity or a famous person and they're coming from someone kind of who has everything to gain in terms of getting some level of notoriety and, and, and fame and selling a story and, and getting in the headlines and, and they can kind of see how that benefits their future. In this instance, the person already had a level of social media fame and was modeling and had basically what you could hope to kind of get out of this anyway. So very little incentive to make up the accusations. And I think the audio recording is particularly damning. Yeah. If it had just been the images, then who knows? Either Not that I've heard it. Yeah. Not that I've found they, it and heard it. <laughs> I have. Uh, but, you know, well, the images, either they could be, either the images could be self-inflicted or faked or could have come from someone else. You know, there's, at that point, it's not a good, not a good look, but who knows? But the fact that you also then have an audio recording during which, and listening to the audio recording, you have to assume that the audio recording was kind of specifically taken, obviously, to get some level of evidence. And the fact that she did manage to throw Mason into the conversation and it's not him then responding, who's Mason? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> it, it would seem highly unlikely that these there is not a great degree of truth behind the accusations. So... Like it's in, in, yeah, and they're they're terrible accusations. I mean, it, you know, again, I think they are true, and it's just disgusting. It's really, it's so fucked up. Yeah, and again, and, and we kind of always come back to this. And look, people who have a mindset that thinks it's right to treat people this way, or any you know childhood trauma that means that this is how they think they should treat people, and it's always particularly amazing to me to be in someone who's life on paper is amazing and you have a whole future ahead of you and yet you're willing to do these awful things that a are just wrong in the first place i'm not saying that anyone should do them or that they're but then when you also throw in the fact that you are jeopardizing whenever you know we've spoken about this with some other instances that have happened with athletes when you have that much to lose and it's just even worse not that it not that it's ever justified, but it's even worse when you think everything else was kind of, at least from the outside, looked all right. You know, it's not as if you were in some terrible life where you're just miserable and you're just taking that out on everyone around you. Again, not justified, but a little bit more understandable. When it's sort of, you had everything at your fingertips and you've decided that this is still how you're going to behave, it just seems worse to me. Yeah, this is definitely gives evidence to the bad people will be bad people, no matter yes what. And 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 also right, he has a some history. He was obviously Mason Greenwood was 
he and Phil Foden were the two players who had, when they went to Iceland, if you recall, uh, had the models or the Instagram models come into their, sneak into their whole home uh, hotel room and break COVID protocols. So he already has some history of transgressions. He and Cristiano Ronaldo have not been getting along, according to all reports, in that Cristiano Ronaldo has felt as if he has not listened to him enough when he's been giving him advice as to how to become a better player. Cristiano Ronaldo has come out publicly, obviously prior to this, and basically said that he felt as if when he was a young player, he was always very receptive to the more experienced and senior players at Manchester United and took their advice, whereas some of the younger players at Manchester United seem to be a little bit more entitled and unwilling to listen to him when all he's trying to do is help them. So overall, doesn't probably not a great guy. This is obviously by far and away the worst of all the things, but doesn't seem like a great person. I guess switching off to a, a more encouraging topic, Rafael Nadal, just talk about gamers. Yeah. I mean, you sent me a message on Saturday night. You asked me, who did I think was going to win the Australian Open? And I said back to you, I mean, Medvedev should win it. He is by far and away the better hardcore player. He'd had a less taxing uh, grand slam up until that point. I mean, the crazy stat that came out from Nadal, right, was in his quarterfinal, which also went five sets against uh, Shapovalov. He lost uh, four kilos over the course of that match. So, you know, when you look at just the physical strength. <laughs> that's, that's like 10 pounds. That's insane. Yeah, that's, no, that's what he lost over the course of the five hours or whatever he was playing tennis, just in in sweat, basically. And... <laughs> He, uh, so yeah, he, you would have expected that then if the game was to go to another five setter and another, you know, this was another five hour plus game, I think it was around five hour and 20 minutes from two sets to love down. He looked dead and buried. And yeah, I said to you, Medvedev should win, but you know, with Nadal, he's never going to give it away. Like he will keep fighting until the very last point. You could have him down six love, six love, five love. I think you said Nadal's never going to give it up. don't have that drop but (laughs) but but yeah and he fought hard and i thought it was interesting he has a history at the australian open where he's kind of thrown away the final twice when he's been up in the deciding set and then been broken and then ended up losing and he kind of nearly did that again he was serving for the for the match for the championship and was broken and i don't know if you saw his interview with him afterwards but he said that after that when it went down the other end and Medvedev was serving, he said to him, and this is what he said in this interview, he was like, I, I said to myself out loud, fuck it, I'm not doing it again. And, just, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then broke right back and then won the championship. And he's now taken the lead. He's now got 21 career Grand Slams, which puts him ahead of Federer and Djokovic, who are both on 20. And, you know, we spoke that Djokovic was in the driving the driver's seat in terms of finishing his career with the most overall. Assuming Nadal obviously goes into the French Open now as the heavy favorite, if he can get to 22, I don't think Federer will win another one. But if you now put in a position where Djokovic has to win two just to tie, it starts to become tougher as you know Djokovic is getting older as well. So he could end up yeah. As a result of this kind of surprise victory, being the one who retires with the most. And you kind of have to think 
he might just not win one more French Open. This is kind of, it can go back to the Tom Brady aspect of, is he going to be the type of person who retires and that's it and he's done? Or does he retire but says, I'll still play in the French Open and maybe two, three years down the line just has this crazy streak in a French Open and makes it to the finals and has a weak opponent and wins? You know, I, I could see that happening maybe if he's that type yeah. of person. So the, the, the tough thing for Nadal. There could be multiple French Opens still. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of the approach that Federer has adopted, right? Federer over the last few years focuses on Wimbledon and the tournaments he can win. He he typically doesn't go to the French Open just because he knows he has no chance. So he's kind of trying to reduce the workload on his body and and kind of head and kind of give himself the best chance of winning. But Nadal could do the same. Like he could. There, it's very realistic to think towards the very end of his career, he is only the clay court season and maybe Wimbledon, where he has a good record, but that he might just give the hard court season a total miss. Plus, he has a big issue with his knees, and so playing on a hard court not ideal for that. The concern for him is that he has, of the three of them, he has had the most injury problems over the course of his career, including recently when, I mean, he came back from a, a six-month layoff to play in the, to the warm-up tournaments and then play in the Australian Open. He said that he thought at one moment during that period that he that injury would force him into retirement. So the issue for him is his knees, his hips, and just the fact that he could kind of break down at any time and then that might just be the end of him. Yeah, it is crazy to think that I uh, I think Nadal is younger than I am, which is crazy. Just crazy. He is. He's one of the only people that looks. Most athletes <laughs> always look younger. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, he looks but older. But he he looks older than his age. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's basically spot on my age. So who do you think's having a better life? Mm. Me or Rafa? I think it's close. It's close. Does he have a podcast? No. And I mean, do you have to tuck in your hair each strand from your left to your right ear every time you take off mute <laughs> on your mic? No. So you got that going for you. You don't have no, OCD. I do have, to pick, <laughs> I do have to pick a wedgie every time I talk. But <laughs> yeah. And, and look, it, I always think Nadal is another interesting. When Nadal first burst on the scene and there was he was wearing the sleeve, he committed to the sleeveless shirts immediately. He was kind of changing the culture of tennis a little bit in that respect. He was loud. The OCD and the habits pre-points were kind of annoying. Um, at first, I didn't really like him. He's definitely warmed on me over time. And now I probably think he's the nicest of the big three. He seems like very down to earth. I did like he did a GQ you know when they do those 10 things you can't live without or whatever, you know, the 10 things you need the most? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which which usually just ends up being who sponsors me. Like, <laughs> oh, you know the thing I can't live without? My Sonos portable speaker. It's like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could live without a Bluetooth speaker. Like, I'm pretty sure that's not like... I like that he literally chose 10 things that seemed stuff that he really cared about. I mean, part of it was he chose his like rackets and stuff. Because he said he couldn't live without playing tennis. He chose masks because it was in the middle of a pandemic. So he said he can't live without those. Oh, so you know, like, point. It, it, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it, again, it felt nice to see someone. Whenever I watch those videos and I and it doesn't just seem like they've taken, they've got 
sponsorship money to, for the 10 items they've chosen. I always like that person way more. And also when it's relatable, when it's not, you know, the thing I can't live without this $500,000 chain. I think you could. Like you did before, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, he's just so weird to watch. So that kind of brought up another thing is um, it went off at 1.30 a.m. my time. So obviously I didn't stay up to watch it, but then woke up, looked at the result and saw that it was a really awesome match. I then went out into my living room and saw that it was just being broadcast pre-recorded, but about to start at that time. And part of me thought, oh, it would be, I mean, it was a great match. I'd love to watch it. But the other part of me was, especially in a sport like tennis, where I know the outcome, I don't know if I can sit there for three and a half, four hour match, knowing at the end of the day, what's going to happen. Five hour and 20 minute match. But yeah, yeah, no, I mean, as much as I love sport, I, I can watch the replays or something like for analysis purposes like when we're doing preparing for the podcast i can go back and watch stuff to try and get to to have already watched it and and enjoyed it in the moment because i don't want to be the person who when you're watching it live you're necessarily trying to take out bits and pieces you kind of want to enjoy the spectacle there as as a fan and not trying to analyze it if i already but if i already if this is just for pleasure and i know the result there's no way I can wake up and watch it. There was a period in my life where I used to watch every NFL game in full, but I used to do NFL game pass allows you to do that thing where you remove, it just goes play, 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 play. So like when a play ends, the next play. Yeah. So you, you can kind of burn through a game in like 25 minutes. I would avoid knowing if I'd gone to sleep and the Thursday night, I would wake up in the morning and while I ate breakfast, I would watch the Thursday night game. That I could do because I at least didn't know the result. However, if the game got out of hand, if it was suddenly 24-0, I just skipped to the end and saw what the score was. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I, I mean, I genuinely really wanted to watch it. And then as soon as I put it on, I kind of just had that feeling of, ah, I know what's going to happen. And I, I could literally, if I really wanted to, I can go to flash score and watch it point by point on flash score as it's happening. And what's the point of that at, at the end of the day there? I'll just watch the highlights, see some of the really nice volleys and, and plays and then call it. I mean, it's just tough, right? Because so much of watching a live sporting event is the drama that builds where I don't know what's going to happen next. And once you're like, oh, I know. If you have the commentators, this is a huge break point for Nadal. Will he get it? If he gets this, the momentum shifts. I know he gets it. You know, like, okay, I want to see how he wanted, but and and then again, that's where I might just watch extended highlights over sitting down and, and really rewatching it because I don't need to watch how did he hold serve to love in the fourth game of the third set. Yeah, I think the only time I could really watch a sport knowing the result would maybe be a team I really support, like the Giants. If I was out and taped the Giant game, came home, knew the result, but still wanted to see how they performed and kind of tear into how terrible the players were looking and and kind of analyze it a little bit more, then I could maybe do it. But it would be more to just say like, 
oh, so-and-so had another terrible game. Look at this play. Look at this play. Look at this play. And not so much, you know, I couldn't fool myself into thinking the outcome was going to come out differently. <laughs> no, and I couldn't not look at the result. I think that's the other issue I have is there are people, right, who, I mean, there are psychos who who decide, oh, I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl on Sunday because I'm doing stuff. So I'll just record that and watch that Monday night. I have, I know people. Those people that. shouldn't exist. <laughs> and that's not even, t- that's not, that's not even time zone related people because it's one thing if you say, I don't want to stay up to the middle of the night. Maybe I get that. But I know people in the US who are just saying, I, I don't want to go to a Super Bowl party and can't really be bothered with this this year, but I'll record it and I'll watch it on Monday. I don't understand how you can avoid a sports score. I'm in a group chat where people get annoyed if you, a little bit like spoiling movies where they'll say basically you have 24 hours where you can't say the score of a game because you can't spoil the game for them in case they've recorded it. Yeah. That to I me mean, is insane. That's crazy. I think the only thing crazier is I'm in a group chat where sometimes I'll say I'm watching the game and the person will scream at me to turn it off and never to watch it. Or I'll say I have the live <laughs> scores on and they'll tell me to delete the live score app from my phone for the next 30 minutes. That's the crazy group chats I have. That person is a psycho. <laughs> so in the bar on Sunday when I was watching the Niners game, I was explaining to a couple of people the toothbrush and my superstitions. And I was saying, look, people laugh, but eventually people kind of, I get requests. So even people who think I'm being ridiculous, they end up asking me to switch seats or switch rooms or stop watching or brush my teeth for New listeners who haven't heard this, I'm very superstitious when it comes to sports and believe that sometimes I don't really believe, but I don't not believe that my actions can influence the outcomes of sporting sporting events, which is even crazier because, as I've also addressed before, our friend Tim once asked me, but how do you feel about that when you know you're watching a game on like a 45 second delay? So you're now trying to influence, not only influence something that you're not involved in, but you're trying to influence something that has already happened. And still, still, I gotta, I gotta do it. I will switch rooms. I will switch it off. I'll do all sorts of things to try and do my bit. But they then asked me, and as the game, this was after the game had lost, they're like, well, do you regret not bringing your toothbrush to the bar? Do you think the Niners would have won if you'd brought your toothbrush? And I said, possibly. We'll never know, but possibly. (laughs) That's. If I was, that's how was, snake oil salesmen live. That's the gray zone they live in. Possibly, you'll well, never know. <laughs> I mean, if if I had been brushing my teeth, I think Tart holds on to that interception. <laughs> in an alternate there. universe, Eddie brought his toothbrush to the bar, and Tart is on every Monday morning sports broadcast. Yeah, he he took it to the house. Pick six, game over. But now, um, yeah, it's tough. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. It's it's sometimes a burden. Oh, look at Mr. Marvel over here, quoting Spider-Man. <laughs> so I guess with that, we'll, we'll call it a day and start gearing up for Super Bowl weekend. Yeah. Yeah, no, it'll be – it's both – I always look forward to it. It, it we touched on it, too. It comes with a tinge of sadness just because the NFL season's over. And, you know, for the whole entire NFL season, I kind of know what I'm doing on Sundays. 
Yeah. It's like time filled on entertainment. And then the Sunday, the Sunday after the Super Bowl, it's back to, uh oh, it's Sunday evening and I got to find a TV show to watch or a book to read or something. Well, I, I, I don't. I'll say I get way more productive after the NFL season because now I have another full day. Because for me, NFL starts at 11 a.m., sometimes 10 a.m., depending on the time zone pretty much for the rest of the day. So I have a full day of watching football and now you've freed up this day that I can do so many activities. Well, I, I think my productivity might have the bigger boost because, okay, on a Sunday, I can do stuff on, during the day pre-NFL, but when the late games are kicking off at 2.30 in the morning and I'm up until 5 a.m., sometimes 6 a.m. watching them, my productivity the following morning takes a slight hit. So uh, definitely I get a little bit more sleep and I'm a little bit more a better rested when once the NFL season ends my sleep pattern which is never good definitely gets a little bit closer to being normal well, I'll see if that'll improve your podcast energy <laughs> yeah maybe it might, it might may well do but uh but no it's always different and also the fact that this Super Bowl feels like the thing that's I'm looking forward to this Super Bowl is it could be a fun, high-scoring game. There could be that. It could be a shootout. It could end up yeah. 45-38 with two teams just going for it. They're both built, in a sense, to do that. And the other I don't want to spoil my predictions, but there's also the other world where the Rams are just getting constant pressure on Joe Burrow and their offense is playing okay and the Rams win this kind of easily and it's just a an anticlimax. Yeah, I also won't don't want to get too much into it, but I feel as if one team is built to highly compete against the other team. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 100%. And, and attack they their weaknesses. <laughs> if they could have chosen an NF, a team in the playoffs to take advantage of, I think they would have chosen this one at yeah. the beginning of the playoffs. But yeah, I agree. And, and I guess it's worth then saying, because for anyone still listening, but our Spotify li listeners obviously did not hear us address the fact that massive lifelong Bengals fan Sam left the podcast at the turn of the year. So for any Spotify listeners out there, Sam is not on a hiatus or um, a sabbatical. He is <laughs> sabbatical. <laughs> did you just say sabbatical? Sabbatical. <laughs> He is he has left the podcast permanently, so he might make a reappearance in the future. Um, he he had requested that when he leave, that he could come back on if Arsenal won the Premier League. Maybe he should have said if the Bengals won the Super Bowl, he could have been back on in a couple of weeks. Yeah, but but no, he is. This was addressed on episodes after he left. There's no bad blood or animosity, but it was addressed. Oh, there's slight animosity. But. <laughs> it was it was addressed on episodes that did not make it to Spotify. So if you're a Spotify listener, you probably haven't heard this. But yes, that's the situation. Yeah. So long, Sam. You won't be missed. Good riddance. <laughs> no animosity. All right. Well, with that. <laughs> <laughs>